1: days before the new year, the New York Times sued OpenAI and Microsoft. Why?
2: Well, they wanted money for their work.
1: That's Megan Maroney. I work with her over at Axios, where she's a tech editor on our AI Plus newsletter. Recently, she wrote that 2024 will test not only the development of AI, but also the limits of copyright law and the news business. And the New York Times case sets up the stakes. Before filing suit, the paper was in talks with OpenAI over a deal that would let the company use the Times content to train its models. OpenAI has been doing these kinds of deals with other publishers, like the Associated Press. But the Times, kind of the big
2: kahuna of journalism right now, seems to have wanted more. It sounds like OpenAI um, was looking in the millions and the New York Times says billions of damages. And. Obviously, like the the media industry, in particular newspapers, we're not exactly thriving (laughs) right now. And we've been beaten down by tech companies for decades now, and it's exhausting. The way the
1: Times sees it, they're spending a fortune creating what's unfortunately now called content. That's the articles, investigative pieces, analysis, puzzles, recipes, product recommendations, and more that make up what many of us still call a newspaper.
2: And OpenAI is just
1: taking the fruits of that labor, that newspaper, to train their technology.
2: The New York Times went in and found that you, you could prompt GPT for, I think it was, and above, and it would just reveal, it would just spit out paragraphs of these New York Times features these well like really well researched you know people on the front lines talking to people and would just spit them out which means that they're using it as an input to train and then they also might be you know putting those paragraphs in a Bing search or a ChatGPT response
1: so basically, the New York Times was saying, OpenAI is using our articles to train its AI to make it smarter, to make it know more stuff. And then when people use ChatGPT, OpenAI's chatbot, they, they ask it a question and the thing just spits out mostly a New York Times article to explain uh, whatever. And so then users would never have to go to the New York Times website, which by the way, costs money. The subscribers pay. Um, so that's a big hit to their business model. Exactly.
2: And it's not just ChatGPT. It's, you know, the paid version of ChatGPT or the Mm -hmm. bigger versions, the GPT-4, the things that, you know, so big companies have access to to these articles, like someone that might use Microsoft Copilot internally, they might have access. And those companies are paying Microsoft and OpenAI for access to the ability to give it a prompt and have a response, but they're not paying the New York Times. We've heard this song before.
1: At the dawn of the internet, news sites made the mistake of giving away their stories for free, helping sites like Google and Facebook dominate the ad business that media companies once ruled. The news business then spent the following decades getting crushed by big tech. So today on the show, have they learned their lesson? I'm Emily Peck, filling in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. If 2023 was the year that AI went mainstream, it was also the year that the companies behind AI went under the microscope. For all the splashy news about how AI was gonna change our lives, there were also lots of lawsuits from artists and writers who felt like their work was being stolen to train large language models.
2: The record companies have sued Anthropic, which is the sort of, uh, it's a smaller, it's similar to OpenAI, they have the Claude model, And so what Claude could do is you could say, you know, write me a song that sounds like Britney Spears or, you know, Ed Sheeran or whoever. And it would come out, you know, with lyrics that were basically, you know, that that were copyrighted. And that was in, I think, October. And it'll just be ongoing. Lots of authors have um, sued because they're, you know, the same technology that people are using, that the New York Times used to find, you know, to discover that their content was in there. You know, the authors are... Seeing that their content was in there without attribution, without compensation. A lot of best-selling authors, uh, George R. R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones. Who else? I mean, there's just there's just so many, and there will be more. And along with the people that have, you know, a legitimate claim, there's going to be copyright trolls, basically the same thing as patent trolls that we saw. People just sort of putting up songs on Spotify and then claiming that someone stole them as soon as someone comes out with something similar that AI created or, you know, just so that it's going to, it's just going to be, it's going to be a mess.
1: What, what are the AI companies saying in response to these lawsuits? What's their defense here?
2: Uh, well, the defense of the New York Times was like we were hoping we were working on it. We were gonna pay you. We were just mm. in negotiations. We're very surprised that you sued us. Basically, that's that no defense,
1: sued. really. <laughs>
2: no, but they're. I mean, they're also. I think eventually they will defend themselves by saying this is this is what we've been through. This we've been through this with search engines. We've been through this with um, you know streaming music. We've been through this with audio cassettes. Like, is every time it you get better at copying something, once it makes it easier, once technology makes it easier, you have to figure out how people are going to get fairly compensated. I mean, I remember like before the internet, like, you know, just Xeroxing books from the library, you know, five pages from a library so I could read or like, you know, so I could read it at home. And that was fine. I never really thought I was depriving the writer of money or the company. I mean, it's, that's the thing. It's like, it's not usually you and I (laughs) are going to benefit from this. It's the giant media companies that own our content that are going to end up benefiting from it. But, you know, once it becomes bigger, then we just have, we have to figure out um, how to get around this problem. So that's, that's basically their defense that um, this isn't any different than search. This isn't any different than, you know, being able to check a book out from the library. But it is different. Like the idea with the library, like the reason libraries exist is the idea that, oh, well, I'll pick out, you know, I'll read, um, you know, three George R.R. R. Martin books and um, from the library and then I'll end up buying more of them. That That's the idea. But that doesn't really work here. It's like, oh, if I... Ask ChatGPT to write write me something and it spits out a New York Times article, that's probably not going to make me subscribe to the New York Times.
1: There really is a mutual interest here because OpenAI doesn't want the New York Times to go out of business because OpenAI essentially has replaced the New York Times as a source for news and information for everyone. Um, And the New York Times, I guess, they'd probably be better off if it went away. Search has evolved to the point where media companies really need Google search. But along the way, Google and Facebook helped decimate these media companies. So yeah, I guess they need each other, but can't help but think it should have been some other way.
2: Yeah. And I mean, what's different about this too, is that like media companies are now experimenting, including the New York Times, with using generative AI within their offices. And the AP has been doing that for a long time, you know, using Mm -hmm. generative AI to do sports scores or, like, markets, information, stuff that's mm-hmm. just, like, easily spit out. Um, and so, like, we're all sort of figuring out, like, we can't just ignore it. We can't just say, like, nobody ever used um, ChatGPT. There's some good uses for it. One lawyer um, that I talked to, Jerry Levine, he's the general counsel for a small company that uses generative AI to help lawyers read and summarize contracts. Mm-hmm. And so his argument is that... Ideally the technology should be able to recognize when uh, it's going to spit out copyrighted content and then source it like give a link to the source like that would the technology should be able to do that. And I mean, that's the big thing. As journalists, we know that. Like, where's your source? Like, that's what's so frustrating to me when I, you know, use ChatGPT just to, like, summarize something or, you know, ask it, like, where I should go in South Carolina or whatever it is that I'm asking it. Like, and there's no sources. It's it's like, well, is this true or not? And obviously, we know, like, if you've been following this, a lot of what ChatGPT and other generative AI produce are not true. Hallucinations is what they call it. So ideally, the, the technology would be able to source the material, say where it came from, and um, and maybe give like a summary, which is that's how Google Books, The Google Books was a similar lawsuit that went on mm-hmm. forever. Like in the beginning, they could, you know, you could just go on and search any book and get anything from any book. And they just, you know, they went to court and they just finally you know figured out a way that, to summarize the content and have like small parts of the book. So that's basically how
1: copyright law kind of changes the development of of the new technology and how it could change the development of AI. But maybe we should back up and just talk a little bit about copyright law as boring as that sounds and um and specifically about fair use because I think a lot of these fights will sort of hinge on what's a fair use and what isn't. So can you ex- explain a little bit about what fair use is and how it would apply in these cases?
2: a good example of fair use was gosh this was probably 20 years ago there was like the dancing the like a mom took a video of her baby toddler dancing in the kitchen to the princes let's go crazy and put it up on youtube and you know it went viral Anything- I guess the first dancing baby someone had seen in real life, And so they took it down, and there was this whole copyright that's not fair use, like you're using that to entertain people, mm-hmm. and eventually you know it it they decided that that was fair use. fair use is just is it is it copying is it are you benefiting from this? In a way, and not acknowledging the source, um, that would be like if something is not fair use. I guess you know, fair use is using it to entertain. Like it's satire. It's
1: it's like are, are you straight up copying something, or are you using something for educational purposes? Then fair use is usually kind of granted, or that is a fair use. Are you using it for commercial purposes? Then maybe not. Like there's like a higher standard for fair use, is my understanding. So that's where open AI would kind of come into play.
2: I think that is what. Opening, I will say that what we're doing is is fair use. The company
1: is worth a lot of money right now. They're not just doing this out of the goodness of their hearts to educate the American public.
2: Right. Exactly. And the fact that, like, I think I think some these these copyright lawsuits have been going on for a while. Of course, they became more like once ChatGPT like became a household name then everyone figured out oh like what is this so they've gotten bigger then and then also i think with the um when the board at uh open ai ousted sam altman and brought him back and that that also brought not just open ai into the more public consciousness but it also i think brought the connection between microsoft and open ai more into the public consciousness and when people hear oh well open ai just heard about it their pockets are not that deep but like everybody knows that Microsoft has incredibly deep (laughs) a pocket. So I think once they've, they've been starting to be named in a couple of lawsuits, it sort of changes the whole game a little bit.
1: When we come back, why is this issue being handled by the courts instead of Congress?
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
1: how copyright law could be the thing that winds up regulating AI, not, you know, not Congress, uh, not a federal agency, um, but copyright law, slow plotting litigation. I mean, some of these suits could take a decade to resolve. What should I, should I think about that? Is that appropriate? Um, Are there, is there a better way?
2: I think it's not always appropriate, and I don't think there's a better way. Sadly, uh, I mean it should be like it, it should be a public policy. A lot of these questions should not be answered through copyright law, and and that you know copyright law shouldn't be used to solve privacy problems. And that was something in my reporting that I. Um, found really fascinating, I mean, this was like, I don't know, 2019, IBM was using not generative AI, but AI to search the web and, um, and they were doing like their, their purpose was good. They wanted to they wanted to add more people of color into facial recognition software. So they Mm -hmm. just took, instead of just using like all the people they work with that are often white men, they went on Flickr and just scanned all of these people's photos. And they weren't using them. They weren't going to, you know, put them, you know, use Generative AI to, like, make them say something that they didn't say. But they they had the right to do it through the Creative Commons license, which was a way, you know, one of the things that, that we have um, developed in order to not slow down photographers being able to put their work out. Um, but... Uh, a lot of people complained. They were like, "Well, we didn't know our photos were going to be used for that, and that's a violation of our privacy." Uh, but like, you know, that that's conflating the two—the copyright law and like privacy issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> they shouldn't necessarily be used to solve those problems. You often hear them, like, you know, you and I as journalists get—we're scared. Like, oh, is ChatGPT like if it sucks up enough of the New York Times? is my job going to, like, am I going to exist <laughs> anymore? Or is an AI going to write all of the stories from now on? And so, like, that's more of a labor issue. And so copyright law shouldn't be solving labor issues either, but it is publicly, like, like, probably not in the courts. But that, I think, the experts and lawyers I talked to, that was the one thing that, one of the big things they said was, like, copyright law is great. It stands. It's all-encompassing. It will solve the problems it's meant to solve, Don't expect it to solve the other ones.
1: Right. And then kind of the flip side is, I mean, copyright law in the United States is just so powerful. We just saw um, Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, like one of the earliest iterations, just came off copyright and is now in public domain after more than 100 years. And Disney actively lobbied to change the copyright law to get that extension um, on the IP. And like for a long time, people have argued that our copyright laws are too strong And that because they're so strong, they inhibit creativity, they inhibit new technologies, all of this. So in thinking about the New York Times lawsuit and these other lawsuits, is there a flip side risk? We've talked about the risk to media companies, but there's a flip side risk to AI companies that all this copyright litigation will inhibit their growth um, and development.
2: Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. A lot of people argue that this is these kind of copyright cases are going to inhibit innovation. And that, I mean, copyright law, it's designed to promote innovation. Like the idea behind copyright law is not for like big companies like Disney to make more money off of Mickey for longer. It's the idea that if you or I want to, you know, write a a story about two journalists like driving across country to, um, you know, commit some capers, (laughs) if we think we're going to write that together and then two days later some other journalists are going to write the same story and they're allowed to, you know, just make money of it, we're going to be like, eh, let's just keep our day jobs. So the, the idea is, yeah, that it should promote innovation. And often, like you said, it, it doesn't. Um, and And copyright, like keeping copyright longer isn't necessarily helpful for innovation either. But I think when you look at the New York Times, good long form investigative journalism is really hard to do. It's really expensive. And that's what New York, New York Times says in their case. And I mean, it's true. And so for them to go out and like to, to pay people to like live in New York City and then go out on the street and interview cab drivers, you know, and talk to hundreds of people and spend time writing and um and then for an ai company just to suck that up and spit it out for use that you don't have like we don't really know how it's going to be used like that that feels like i don't i don't know i mean we're journalists so like we're we're weird like we would keep doing this no matter what <laughs> but i can see how some younger journalists might look at that and be like oh Uh, yeah, that seems like not the job to get into. And that's, you know, that's scary to think that it might um, threaten journalism even more than it already is threatened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really seems like, I mean, just looking back at the past two decades, media companies, the New York Times, everyone, they really undervalued content and journalism. I mean, they put it all on the web for free in the beginning. How crazy is that? The New York Mm -hmm. Times now is arguing, you know, it costs us millions of dollars to create these stories, original stories, original reporting, sending people all around the world. Um, this is like expensive endeavor. It's really very valuable. It's obviously very valuable for open AI. And then, yeah, to think like 20 years ago, everyone just put it all out there for free, set consumer expectations. This stuff is should be free. And kind of that legacy is is haunting, I think, this whole situation right now, right, where the Times and maybe other media companies need to level set at a higher level um, to make sure, you know, they don't just disappear because of because of AI exactly i mean
2: and that that's what i wor- i mean this is way bigger <laughs> than yeah. this discussion but i my greatest worry is not that it's going to like you know i'm not worried about the singularity or it like taking over and um skynet and all that <laughs> yeah. i'm more worried that it's just going to like make us bad at thinking and i think uh, and i worry about like i you know i have t- young adults, I guess, what do you call 20 and 18 year olds, teenagers, young adults. (laughs) And, you know, they're living through this. They use ChatGPT for their college and high school papers. And, you know, it's sure it can be helpful, but like, it really does make me worry that like writing um, is how you learn to think. That's why so many, you know, classes involve writing. That's, you know, you sit down, you have an idea, you write it out and that's how you think. I mean, that's that's my biggest worry is that it will, um, you know, the same way like I can't read maps anymore. I don't know directions. I have to look at my phone.
1: Megan, I'm wondering if if any of these suits are actually successful on the copyright claims, what happens to the AI industry? Does it matter?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, who knows? I mean, it could be like Napster. Like Napster was destroyed because of, you know, the... these lawsuits. I mean, there, there could have been a Napster still. Um, I mean, I think there is like think Napster yeah. itself is a company doing something, but like, that's how we could have been sharing music if they had been able to come up with like a, a way to pay the artists. But instead it's, you know, we're streaming on, you know, there were, it didn't, we didn't go straight from Napster being destroyed to Spotify and Apple music. There was a mm-hmm. long time in between. So that, that could happen. I think, What is more likely to happen is just that we're going to have like these tinier AI companies that aren't connected to, you know, that aren't Meta or Google or Microsoft. They're going to have a much harder time um, at this. And so we're going to have like the big four or five companies just like we had in search and just, you know, like we've always had. So I think that's probably the... You know, these companies have huge pockets. They can pay the lawsuits. They can indemnify their users. And so, meaning like if I use Facebook or Instagram's um, AI tool to create art and then it looks like, you know, a version of Mickey Mouse that's still under copyright and I get sued, if I use Instagram, then Meta will indemnify me. They'll like pay my, you know, fees or whatever. Um, But the smaller... Um, AI company that does a similar thing, they don't have those deep pockets, so they're not going to probably survive.
1: And is there also a phenomenon of the smallest not surviving on the other side? Like the New York Times can afford to negotiate um, with OpenAI, can afford to sue, da, da 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 but like academics, little publications, things like that, are they just not going to be are they just going to be left behind from AI? I'm not going to be. You're not going to be able to find that kind of content um, through these chatbots and things.
2: Well, I hope I hope <laughs> that's not the reality. But it, yeah, it, it's entirely. And that's what yeah, some of the lawyers I talked to said. Like, it's the smaller people writing. Again, they might not be inspired to continue writing if they know it could just be sucked up into a large language model and spit out, and someone else can take credit for it.
1: So once again, it's a story of like probably the big guys. Triumphing. thing. Um, I mean, we already talked about the news industry has just been battered for so long by the tech industry, just smacked around. Um, can the New York Times, what happens if they don't win? Their copyright claims don't hold up. If they lose in court, um, if they're on the back foot, what is the worry here for the Times and for the media industry?
2: Yeah, the media industry, I think, is more to worry about. I think the Times will always be fine. <laughs> That's, um, but yeah, the media industry in general, the smaller companies that aren't, aren't already part of large media conglomerates, that there is a threat, I think, to them. And the the other threat is that these just will drag out while the technology continues to move forward. So, you know, these are just like, copyright isn't like, oh, I'm going to make a copyright claim and everything stops. Like, I'm going to make a copyright claim. And then, you know, it's just like the technology can keep moving forward. And, you know, these companies can find workarounds or say that they are linking to sources I'm sure whatever prompts were put in that are in this lawsuit, OpenAI has already gone in and figured out <laughs> what they are and how to change it so it's not spitting out these particular New York Times articles. But there will always be more. The pace—they're—they're they're moving fast. They're breaking things. Yes, they're—they're they're still moving fast and breaking things and asking forgiveness, not permission. All the things.
1: Megan Maroney, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Emily. Megan Maroney is a technology editor for the Axios AI Plus newsletter. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell, Patrick Fort, and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate arizona state university and new america if you're a fan of the show i have a request for you become a slate plus member just head on over to slate.com slash to sign up we'll be back on sunday with another episode i'm emily peck filling in for lizzie o'leary and you can catch me on saturdays at slate money thanks for listening